Well, welcome back to Karma Light Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. So glad to be back with you again today. We are continuing a series that Francis and I have been doing on St. Teresa Margaret of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. That may be the only time, Francis, we say that whole name. It is a lengthy religious name, but right. it is worth emphasizing. And I know you'll emphasize it in our closing prayer today, but... Um, let me begin by saying hello. How are you, Francis? <laughs> Feeling very blessed. Really happy that we're coming together to share some more from the life of St. Teresa Margaret Reddy, the Sacred Heart, because she has much that we can learn from. Um, we might not be able to imitate her like she is, but we're called to, to learn, and then we um, follow the flow of how the Holy Spirit leads us. So it's good to read the lives of the saints and understand how they conquered themselves. And, uh, well, St. Teresa Margaret Reddy is an excellent example. She really is. She, um, as I described her in the very first uh, broadcast for this series, she's really a hidden saint, even right. to those of us in Carmel. She's not that well known. Her name is known, of course, but if you begin to question even some of the better read uh, people in the community, Francis, I think we would agree. We probably won't find a lot of people that know her particularly well. But I know for myself, having gone through this series, and I'm looking forward to continuing it for a few weeks. Uh, I've drawn a great deal from the experiences of her life. Her brief uh, writings, mostly found in the form of letters uh, to uh, friends and spiritual directors, but she's really a very rich saint. And the timing, I think, was perfect. Obviously, this was the work of the Holy Spirit that we are doing this now in the time when we are celebrating the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Um, so it's it's just uh, a, a great sort of confluence of... Uh, of circumstances for us and uh, we want to take time to read more about this saint so i'm going to ask as i do every week and if you would begin us in prayer francis yes and this is from saint Teresa margaret reddy and let us get recollected and sign ourselves in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen my god how well you know my great need of your help i trust in your infinite mercy and I shall always do so, regardless of the spiritual state in which I might find myself. Always and everywhere I shall endeavor to recognize your will in all things, even though my eyes see only contradiction and uncertainty. I know that I cannot depend upon myself, and so I shall trust completely in you. Nothing shall separate me from the love of Christ, for in you, O Lord, I have hoped I shall never be confounded. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. You know, I want to take just one quick moment to again emphasize something you started with, Francis, and that is we don't look to imitate the life of an individual saint. We can't uh, recreate their circumstances. I think we say something about that later in our conversation even today. Uh, but when we hear their prayers or we hear something of their writings, and it's true for St. Teresa Margaret, maybe perhaps because she wrote so little, it seems every word is impactful. Every word is worthy of consideration. Every sentence is rich in, in a teaching, and we should really read these prayers. I would encourage you to go back and listen to this broadcast again, and listen to Francis praying that prayer, but really take it to heart. Don't just hear it as somebody else's prayer, but really try to incorporate it, interiorize it, and make it your own. I think that's a, a great benefit that the saints provide us. 
Well, we concluded our conversation last week talking about humility and her practice of humility. Her approach, Teresa Margaret's, for doing this, achieving this, was actually quite simple. Uh, she only needed to remind herself of her total dependence on God. This is actually true for all of us. We are all dependent creatures. We must rely on grace for everything. Um, we don't always keep this fact in mind, Francis, as you know. Uh, we might even argue against it at times. But for Teresa Margaret, it was the anchor that allowed her to remain grounded in both humility and, as I mentioned a moment ago, hiddenness. Um, this is something that I think we all have to come to terms with in the spiritual journey, our profound dependence on God. Uh, it doesn't come easy. It usually comes uh, through some rather difficult phases in our life. I'm going to let you share a little bit. Uh, Francis, uh, drawing on the quotes from Margaret Rowe's book about how Teresa Margaret was taught this. Well, Margaret Rowe says this about Teresa Margaret Reddy. She says, we're constantly dependent on grace, and it is because we forget that we have nothing that we have not received and that all must be done in utter dependence upon God that so many of our pet projects fail. And this is what her spiritual director said about her. He said, Teresa Margaret Reddy's keen sense of her own unworthiness and the often painful awareness of her imperfections did not leave Teresa Margaret cowering fearfully beneath the weight of her own recognized weakness. Rather, it caused her to throw herself confidently on the love and mercy of God, gaining daily and hourly a stronger incentive to greater and more virtuous works for his love. Well, and I just want to reemphasize something that uh, Margaret Rowe pointed out here. She talks about the failure of our pet projects, and we're already familiar with some of that on, on the part of uh, Teresa Margaret, um, where she wanted to pursue holiness kind of in the way that she wanted to pursue it, and she had to go through that experience. It happens again and again. We're going to hear about it again a little bit later in our conversation. I just want to say one quick thing about um, this idea of meekness. Now, our Lord himself said, um, you know, follow me, uh, look to me, for I was meek and humble of heart. And it's important if we hear these words, it's what I said a moment ago about don't just listen to a prayer, but sort of um, unearth it, get in a, a sense of what's behind it. The word meekness, actually, if you do a little bit of biblical research, comes to us from the Greek. It's actually pronounced, if I don't mispronounce this, praos which refers to the way that wild horses were trained for battle. And it doesn't mean weak or submissive in the sense of, um, you know, sort of slave-like. Or doormat. Uh, or doormat, exactly. <laughs> it means uh, power under control. These wild horses, which were taken from the mountains and, and uh, surrounding villages in, in Greece, and then trained in a military fashion, were then very powerful but under control, they became incredibly responsive to the guidance and direction of their master. And even in the fit of battle, and we've all been in the fit of battle, um, they knew exactly what to do because, like the Holy Spirit, they followed instantaneously the guidance that they were provided. And so when we hear these words, meekness, uh, especially as it refers to our Lord and Savior, and in this case to a saint, we shouldn't presume um, that it in some way means what the modern era has turned it into, which is weakness or, um, as Francis said, uh, assuming the, the disposition of a doormat. It's anything but that. Now, uh, we should not become discouraged or fearful when we are forced to come to grips with our own weakness, 
our total dependence on God. Indeed, as a woman uh, who's in a prayer group of mine uh, once said to me, on hearing this truth, Mark, this actually gives me the greatest comfort of all. It means I don't need to constantly concern myself with the issues about doing the right thing or fear uh, doing the wrong thing. I only need to ask the guidance of the Holy Spirit and then leave it up to him to work it out. And I thought, what a profound insight on the part of that woman uh, that she had come to that understanding, certainly not on her own, uh, but nonetheless, it significantly changed the way that she um, dealt with the challenges that, that she faced in her life from that point on. Well, St. Therese of Lisieux talks about this um, humbleness and humility um, and it's part of her exposition of the spiritual childhood. It's a disposition of the heart which makes us all humble and little in the hands of God, well aware of our feebleness, but confident to the point of audacity in the Father's goodness. Now I want to back up just a minute and go back and say what Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart said. She said, of myself I am nothing, but in God everything but, but in God is everything, and I can do all things in him who strengthened me. So, of course, she gets that from St. Paul. The poor and more miserable I am, the richer and stronger I am in him. He will be the more glorified in his mercy, the more wretched and despised I am in my nothingness, my sins and my weakness. Now, Mark, I have to tell you, I just love that part where she said, he will be more glorified in his mercy due to her yeah. weakness. Uh, that gave How me great hope. <laughs> It's very encouraging, and it's, it's that way as we begin to learn the truths of the spiritual journey. We do find that it is our greatest weakness that, in fact, uh, redounds to our greatest glory, and that is not our own, but the recognition that God fills in the gaps if we let him, if we acknowledge it. And, you know, Margaret Rowe also says this. I have to, I have to read this because it was, she summarizes so beautifully. She said, the fact is that humility must be firmly allied with confidence. To be aware of our powerlessness to do any good without an equally strong conviction of God's mercy and willingness to help us would throw us into despair. Exactly right. So um, we may uh, see our misery, but we need to also trust in the Lord, in his merciful love, and in as Therese of Lisieux would say, he's going to stoop down with his elevator arms and lift us up, right? Well, and just a quick caution here. Um, this, of course, does not mean we should come away with the impression, oh, well, so I just pray and then I wait. I don't have to do anything. Even right. our Carmelite rule says, you shall do some kind of work that the devil may always find you occupied, lest through idleness he may find an entrance into your soul. And of course, it, it's not just a matter of doing something for the sake of doing something. Even St. Paul says, whatever your task, put yourselves into it as done for the Lord and not for your uh, masters, whoever it is you may be working for. That's Colossians 3.23, by the way. This too requires us to engage and subdue our will in all things. Carmel, for those of us who are members of the order, has provided us with many blessings. In fact, uh, I want to read just briefly from Margaret Rowe's book. Carmel, she says, is often defined as an austere rather than a penitential in the strict sense of the word order. And its severest discipline is not of a physical nature, but of the will. In other words, it's not about... Uh, subduing our, ourselves from a physical standpoint. These practices, austere practices, are certainly part of the way we exercise 
our will to take control. But the ultimate um, manifestation of asceticism, our uh, ability to bring the, uh, the, the flesh under control, is in the will. It's not mm-hmm. in uh, a physical, as she says, a physical aspect. It's in the will uh, that we ultimately bridle the passions and bring ourselves in conformance with the will that the Lord uh, desires to uh, manifest through us. So as we come to realize that everything comes to us from God, we may think that it's very humbling to come to this realization of this truth. You know, and, and Teresa Vavala would say truth is humility. Um, but especially if we've been used to operating under the mistaken impression that we ourselves are the masters of our own fate. But then it is this very truth that is, in fact, the definition of humility. So yeah. it... I was going to say, Margaret Rose says, um, it, it's a mistake also to confuse humility with self-depreciation. True humility is capable of recognizing and acknowledging its own gifts of nature and of grace. The person who is afraid of admitting that he possesses any, or she, virtue or talent, who seeks lowly tasks merely because he believes that his humility might otherwise suffer, is actually pursuing self-abasement. Pure and simple, she says. So it is somewhat challenging. I appreciate that we have to get our, our, our mind around this. Humility does not constitute, or humiliation does not constitute humility. It is the uh, asceticism of our will, and it is an acknowledgement that we may very well have talents and abilities that need to be put to work for the kingdom, but they need to be put to work for the kingdom, not for the self. And that's the, the, the point that I think both Margaret Rowe and Teresa Margaret's life would make here. And these gifts and talents we know come from God. They are not in of, in of ourselves. And they can be taken in a heartbeat. Um, you know, we have experiences of that in our life, too. Um, but that's another opportunity to stay humble, right? Well, Mark, I know you love St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. And she um, addresses this forgetfulness of self. I, I'd just like you to address that for a moment. Well, she does. And I'll just refer you to her own prayer to the Trinity, uh, where she begins, Oh, my God, Trinity whom I adore, help me forget myself utterly so that I may be established in thee as changeless, using a word here uh, to describe it, immutable, and as calm as though my soul were already in eternity. Now, I want us to think about this for a moment. I've drawn great fruit from that one line in what is otherwise a, a fairly lengthy prayer. But immutable is God. God is immutable. What's immutable? It means changeless. God does not change. He doesn't have whimsy. He doesn't have emotion. He doesn't, he's not drawn by the passions. God is always God. He's just God. He's perfect and he's always perfect. You know, we tend to think, oh, if I uh, do something in such a way, I can change God's opinion about it and it may manifest to a, to a grace on my behalf. Think about what we believe when we say that. What we're saying is that God would then become subject to the actions of his creature. God is never subject to the action of his creature. He's always trying to divinize the creature, turn us into uh, what he himself is, which is love. The way he does that is to put us in a state where we too are unchangeable. What does that mean, unchangeable? We simply become love. We respond to everything in love. What is Teresa Margaret's favorite motto? Love, God is love. For love for love, right? Love she for says, love. Okay. returning love for love constantly. So, what is that? What condition does that bring us to? This immutable, this changeless condition. 
This is the very nature of God, is immutability, is unchanging reality. If we want to imitate God, we too must enter into a recognition of our dependence on him, and then we must seek to continually conform ourselves ever more perfectly to his will, working through all the events of our lives. Now, there's a great quote, Francis, I'd like you to read um, from uh, Margaret Rowe regarding this. Yes, she says, rather than continually dwelling on her misery and worthlessness, and she's talking in regards to St. Teresa Margaret Reddy, she merely, and get this, this is the important part, here's key, let all thought of self fall away before the infinite majesty of God. And truly, the most profitable and genuine way of despising self is to forget oneself altogether. You know, when I first read that, I, I thought of butter just melting. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good analogy. Um, and I'm sure there's some other analogies, but I, maybe Teresa of Avila would, would talk about, you know, the river going into the ocean, you know, and then becoming one, you know, but to forget self and to be immersed in God. If we could uh, take away from today's conversation, Francis, our listeners, a deep and abiding understanding of that very idea of Teresa Margaret Reddy, that we are to become utterly forgetful of self. And read again, just quickly, read again what the, the, the center of that quote. Let all thought of self fall away before the infinite majesty of God. And truly, the most profitable and genuine way of despising self is to forget oneself altogether. And it makes me think of the scripture verse, Perfect love drives out all fear. Yes. If we are completely in love with God, that's the objective of the reason we were created. That's why we're here. There's no, there's no lengthy theological dissertation necessary. We were created to become love. That's it. End of story. If we reach that, if we are elevated to that through allowing, uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work, all fear goes away. All anxiety, as Paul says, goes away. All worry goes away. That is what this promise to us in this life is all about. Teresa Margaret is one who was raised uh, to that state before uh, actually passing over. And according to St. Teresa of Avila, humility was of profound importance in this spiritual life, for it was the only virtue that would allow us to accept and live with the other spiritual practice that St. Teresa of Avila strongly advocated, and that was this continual growth in self-knowledge. We must constantly ask the Holy Spirit to, to gently, <laughs> how many times I've heard people say, just be gentle with me, Lord, yeah. um, but ask the Holy Spirit to gently reveal to us the true nature of our spiritual state. This should never be done so that we can seek to evaluate and perhaps come to be pleased with our progress. Rather, it should always be done simply out of our desire to continually purify our love for God and for his creatures. So without humility, in fact, the continual revelation of our condition could well lead us to discouragement at the rec recognition of how impure our love is and how really poor we are, this poverty. Yeah, and, and Teresa Margaret, um, uh, actually, uh, Margaret wrote, reflecting on the life, uh, has a couple of quick uh, insights here. She refers to self-knowledge, unlike self-love, does not depress the sight of one, at the sight of one's imperfections. In other words, yes, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal us who we are. 
the Lord will do it gently. He'll do it to the degree that we have asked for the grace to accept what it is that we will have to discover about ourselves. Yeah, he never forces. He always lets us be open to him. But the effect of this self-knowledge does not discourage Teresa Margaret. Rather, it forced her to throw herself on the goodness of the mercy of God, as Francis shared with us earlier, confidence. He shall be more glorious, and she said this, in his mercy as I am more despicable in my sins and nothingness. We don't lose. We can't lose with this equation. I just have to say, though, that's not that you go out and try to be despicable, yeah. okay? <laughs> I'm just saying this because I know some people will take that wrong. Yeah. Uh, this is just to recognize that everything is a gift from heaven, of the you know, the, the heavenly lights uh, from God. So, Well, we also have to understand, it, it's the very realization of our um, ability to love the Lord with purity and with the fire with which he loves us. That's the final form of purification. The soul has to experience this before reaching spiritual marriage. The Lord is doing this work in us. The Lord is doing it with patience and with love, and he is doing it for our benefit. It's actually the greatest purification uh, because it is born out of our own sometimes tainted desires. Remember, Teresa Margaret's uh, motto, return love for love. And our recognition of our inability to do that wherever it's discovered is what truly sets our hearts on fire and burns away all the rust and the impediments and the dross that would otherwise uh, keep us from loving in as pure a way as possible. Said another way, we become consumed by love and overwhelmed with our inadequacy for love up until the time when the Lord so fills us with his Holy Spirit that he literally loves through us. The, this realization of our incapacity for love is the greatest trial we can bear. In fact, I was recently uh, up in California visiting uh, Father Hughes for his 60th anniversary of his priestly ordination. And one of the homilies of one of the priests at the Mass there was, one of our biggest crosses is to bear with ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, oh, that was great wisdom right there. Well, uh Margaret Rose says, and we'll close with this just before the break, the fantastic scruples which were to prove such an agony during the last 18 months of Teresa Margaret's life would not belong to the natural state. Rather, they were of a supernatural order. And we're going to talk about this after the break. This is exactly the difficulty in the trial of the purifying nights is this a supernatural realization of our inability to love. A reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We're now back with the show, Carmelite Conversations with Mark and Francis. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. We're so excited to continue this discussion, conversation, on St. Teresa Margaret Reddy, or St. Teresa Margaret of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. There, I got it in twice. <laughs> All right, yay, double portion. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's this experience uh, of St. Teresa Margaret, um, this uh, trial, if you will, um, that leads her, this is an interesting story, um, leads her to want to make a pact with an older nun. And when I say the experience, I mean this um, late stage of scruples. Scruples are, uh, for those who may not be familiar, and I'm sure many are, uh, this uh, sort of self, um, um, 
criticism and constantly judging and seeing everything that you're doing as wrong uh, and somehow uh, um, believing that God is judging you harshly for all the things you're doing. Many saints have fallen victim to it. It's not by any way uh, unique. But St. Teresa Margaret um, begins uh, uh, her preparation uh, and she forms a pact with a dying nun, uh, something we're going to actually speak about later in the series. I don't want to go into too much detail, but um, it shouldn't sound shocking to us uh, what she agrees to with this nun, which is this, that when that older nun dies, she's much older than Teresa Margaret, obviously, um, and as the infirmar infirmarian, right. <laughs> the, the one responsible for the, the sick uh, uh, sisters in the house, um, Teresa Margaret had developed quite a reputation and quite a rapport with her, and so they come to an agreement with each other. And the agreement is that when this older woman dies, the older nun dies, she is to present herself before the Lord and say, bring Teresa Margaret with me, you know, bring her along. And, and I might as well finish the story so we don't leave us hanging, although we'll go into some of the details. Teresa Margaret Reddy will die four months after that right, older right. nun. <clears throat> but doesn't that remind you of something St. John of the Cross said in his poem, The Living Flame of Love, where the soul's begging God to tear through the veil of this sweet encounter. In fact, there's this wonderful quote. Since it's from John, I'd like you to read this quote uh, in this manly voice here. All right. It should be known that the natural death of persons who have reached this state, that is spiritual marriage, and Teresa Margaret would certainly reach that before her death, John says, is far different in its cause and mode from the death of others, even though it is similar in natural circumstances. If the death of other people is caused by sickness or old age, the death of these persons, those reaching spiritual marriage, is not so induced. In spite of their being sick or old, their soul is not wrested from them unless by some impetuous encounter of love far more sublime than previous ones, of greater power, and more valiant, since it tears through this veil and carries off the jewel, which is the soul. The death of such persons is very gentle, very sweet, sweeter and more gentle than was their whole spiritual life on earth, for they die with the most sublime impulses and delightful encounters of love. Yeah. I'd like to go that way. Die of love. Yes, me too. <laughs> me too. So, Lord, do you hear our prayer? <laughs> well, um, and we might we might question, Francis, whether this is scriptural. Oh, um, yes, it is indeed. You can find it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Or, when he writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, yet we and he's referring to himself, Paul. are courageous, and we would rather leave the body and go home to the Lord. Yeah, so even Paul was very explicit about this. And of course, we can well imagine Paul, um, though the terminology wasn't available to us then, would certainly have been raised to uh, this uh, divine union, spiritual marriage with our Lord. <clears throat> it's in this high state of union and love for the Lord uh, that is what allows St. Teresa to accept any of the circumstances it may please the Lord to place her in. And there's some examples of that, Francis, I yeah. believe. This is her counsel, and I think that we can take this to heart as her speaking to us. Always receive with equal contentment from God's hand either consolations or sufferings, peace or distress, health or illness. Ask nothing, refuse nothing, 
but always be ready to do and to suffer anything that comes from his providence, to ask nothing, to seek nothing but the will of God, accepting all things from his hand with equal gratitude and love. Now, I have to just say, uh, very, uh, I guess, bluntly, and Francis, I know you would agree, there's no way for us to dispose ourselves to the mindset that you just read. We can't do that ourselves. We have to pray in order to get there. There is a process of transformation that is necessary even for us to understand what she just mm -hmm. said, her counsel, as you pointed out. But more to the point, for us to be able to live like that, something has to change within us. Something has to be changed. I was listening, I mentioned before we got on the broadcast, uh, to Ralph Martin earlier, and he's talking about our brokenness, our woundedness. Something within us has to be reconfigured mm -hmm. in order for us to be able to live up to the words that we just mm -hmm. read. And if you believe you understand these words, listener, I, I would encourage you, one, listen to Francis saying them again uh, on our broadcast, but um, then recognize that there are going to be increasing levels of the depth of experience that the Lord is going to call us into to live this out. Yeah, this is what I call spiritual equanimity, so that whether it's good times or bad and sickness or enough, like the marriage vows, yeah. we're going to be constant and we're going to keep our eyes on the Lord, trying to discern and to do his will. That's the important part. So the acceptance of our circumstances is nothing other than the practice that we mentioned earlier of um, continually conforming our will to that of the Lord. You know, we're not only called upon to become submissive to the rule, those of us who are in Carmel, but rather we are to accept without questioning and debating with the Lord, which sometimes we do. Um, we shouldn't debate every little event that is brought into our lives. Of course, this is only possible if we first commit ourselves to prayer. The prayer that begs the Lord to transform us and make us entirely his own, like you said, Mark. We know this is largely the work of the Holy Spirit. And in addition, this would be impossible if, if we did not have Jesus as our model and, and, and our help for this act of submission. And we have a quote that Teresa Margaret said regarding this. She said, she who does not know how to conform her will to that of others will never be perfect. I mean, let that resonate in you. She who does not know how to conform her will to that of others will never be perfect. Our model is Jesus, whose meat was to do the will of his Father, who was submissive to death, even the death of the cross. And I have resolved to resemble him in all things. In order to achieve uh, that great aim of living the truth of humility, what we referred to earlier, humility is nothing other than truth, our dependence on God, where we began this conversation, and acknowledging, in Teresa Margaret's case, her total dependence on God, like St. Therese of Lisieux, many years after her, about 130 years after her, in fact, Francis, she chose to write out, this is Teresa Margaret, she chose to write out an oblation to the Lord. Right. We're actually going to do a series on uh, St. Therese's oblation. Yeah. We'll, we'll oblation do that later. A little, love. Yeah. yeah, a little, uh, you know, a preview of things to come. Uh, but it, it might seem quite shocking to our modern ears, but our future saint actually chose to write out this commitment to our Lord in her own blood. 
Now, right. uh, before you get too taken aback by that, understand she probably pricked her finger and applied it to the writing instrument perhaps a number of I times. I think that's what her spiritual director told her. You, yeah. These are your limitations. Limited, <laughs> limited issuance of blood. Uh, no, no bleeding yourself here. Um, before doing this, in fact, she did, as you say, asked Father Ildefonse, um, there will appear to be nothing particularly remarkable, I'm going to say up front in this brief little statement that we're going to read. But after we've read it, Francis will read it for us, we're going to examine it a little bit more closely and see uh, what we can take away from our future saints' own approach to the pursuit of holiness. Remember, as Francis said, we're not trying to make this statement ours. We're not going to try to adopt the words. We're going to try to extract from uh, the mindset of the saint who would have articulated this very brief phrase, what led her to this disposition, this, this um, you know, sort of perspective and the way that she approached her pursuit of holiness that we too can take away and apply to our own life. And here's her oblation. My Jesus, I'm determined to be all yours, whatever the cost and despite every repugnance. Now, just before we look more closely at the exact words of St. Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, I just want to reiterate something um, that was said a few weeks ago uh, that Mark said. Um, and this was advice, again, uh, I think you mentioned from Ralph Martin. You want to, you want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, Ralph Martin, a very known Catholic evangelist and speaker. If you've not heard Ralph in CD or some other form or read his books, I encourage you to do that. I think he's terrific. He has a great... Uh, a deal of appreciation for and insight into uh, Therese, uh, St. John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila. He's done series on, on all of them, uh, in addition to others. And, and following Ralph's insights in that particular program, I stressed we should read and study the lives of the saints, the writings of the great saints most especially, and we should learn from them. We should allow them to challenge us. We should look to them as models on how to pursue holiness. What we should not do, and I said it just a moment ago, is try to recreate or adopt their method. The way that God chooses to lead them was intended specifically for them. Their words, their interior lives, their devotions, their time in history belong to them. The point we're making is that we should not simply take Teresa Margaret's words and make them our own. Again, repeating what I said a moment ago, we need to listen to them carefully and the way that the Spirit might be leading us in our lives and in our own unique circumstances. If something you read from a saint really jars you, it really sort of grabs you know, your heart and you feel really taken by it, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And right. again, the Spirit isn't saying, okay, you just do that too. Just become a, a, a you know, sort of a, a, a copy of that person. No, the Spirit is going to work with your unique circumstances, but the disposition of the heart, the, the um, intensity of the devotion, and the application to our own interior life is what we're going after. Well, now, having said that, let's go ahead and look at St. Teresa Margaret's um, powerful oblation. First, she makes it very clear right from the beginning that her intention is to give herself entirely to Jesus. She wants to be all his, and so do we. And following the advice again of St. Teresa of Avila, Teresa Margaret sets out with very strong determination, or, or what Teresa of Avila would say, determined determination, which I invite all of us to, to work on. Next, St. Teresa Margaret eliminates any consideration of what this might cost her. It's clear by this very statement that Teresa Margaret does understand that there will be a cost 
Yeah, she says, costly whatever grace. the cost, whatever the <laughs> yeah, cost. costly yeah. grace here. And she appears to understand that it will be significant, even if she's not able to define it at this point. Um, that's the mystery of the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. Furthermore, she makes it clear she's not even going to consider this cost. It's, it's not of any concern because she's going to do whatever it takes. Yeah, I just want to intercede here because, uh, or intervene, sorry. Um, I think that's so important. You know, when we get into the spiritual life, uh, we may find ourselves even subconsciously saying, well, I'll do anything for the Lord. I'll, I'll you know, commit to anything. Um, but what we don't know is just what it is the Lord will ask. And he's not doing it again to be, um, um, you know, mean or, or, or trying to hurt us, harm us in any way. He wants to purify us, by the way, to the extent that we want to be purified. And that's very important for us to remember. What this young saint does, though, is she says, I'm taking everything off the table. Right. You can do anything. She's opening up entirely. Yeah. yeah. She's an the, open book. Whatever the cost, she says. And and I think that has to be our motto as well. Whatever the cost. In other words, I'm not going to count the cost. Francis just said it. It isn't going to come uh, into my consideration what this might cost. I've committed myself, she says, I am determined to be all yours. The cost is not a factor. Right. So she's not saying just go gently. (laughs) (laughs) She's not opening the door just a little, but she's opening it wide up. This is why, by the way, she is said to have been such a daughter of John of the Cross. She followed him by about 200 years, never read his writings, was not at all familiar with him. But if you look at her life, it is John's model. It, it is the... Well, it's uh, the Lord speaking through Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I want to go right up the middle of the road. I don't care what the obstacles yeah, are. Yeah, just like John said. So finally, Teresa Margaret writes something that, again, might seem a bit strange to us. She writes that she fully intends to continue on this path to union with the Lord, despite what repugnance, that was the word that she used, that she may have to endure along the way. So this might, well, lead us to question, what is it? that she might find repugnant in her loving pursuit of the Lord. So perhaps this quote, um, and we are talking about this book that Margaret Rowe wrote. It's called God is Love, and it's on the life of St. Teresa Margaret Reddy. And this is what Margaret Rowe was saying. Saints are made, not born, and it is at the cost of much struggle that they learn to conform themselves to the divine will, to which they gradually offer less and less resistance until by submitting themselves utterly to God's purifying actions, they emerge as we see them, triumphant over nature, true masterpieces of grace. What people often fail to realize is that this humble, amenable girl was not merely agreeable and submissive because it came easy to her to be so. She had acquired her gentleness and kindness by constant vigilance over the instinctive reactions of a hot temper and repeated self-control that eventually became habitual. Her courage was sustained more by the strength of her love than by her natural strength of mind. And it was in the heart of Christ, the strongest and tenderness of all human loves, that she sought refuge, desiring to belong solely to him at whatever cost to nature. Yeah, and I, I want to add to that on um, a little further in, in this particular chapter, uh, what Sir, uh, Teresa Margaret, uh, per, her perspective on suffering, which she wrote, and I'll, I'll quote from her own words here, to suffer and be silent, accept uncomplainingly unsought crosses of daily life, 
This was, she found, the surest and the safest method <clears throat> of mortifying not only the body, but also the will. She said, be careful never to waste an occasion for mortification by complaining about it or letting others see it. These words, quite frankly, summed up her whole program of asceticism. And again, as I said, um, <laughs> you may now be uh, appreciating what Francis and I have been sharing about are not trying to recreate the life of the saint in our own life. This is a woman who um, took the hard road and did it very quickly. She went right up the middle, if you will, and, and committed herself to that. Um, and you see it in her words, you, you, you hear it in her words rather, and, and see it in the events of her life that are shared by others. However, we must take note, Mark, that she did uh, learn from St. Teresa of Avila. Um, oh, that's how deal. they were yeah. being formed. And it is in the writings of St. Teresa of Avila that, that um, she got some great uh, advice. And that is like in moments when she was discouraged or weary or when the trials or the fatigue was, was wearing her down, you know, Teresa of Avila said, well, picture Jesus beside you falling beneath the weight of the cross, forsaken by all, pushed to the limits of human endurance and appealing to her for support. And she would say, Jesus did not act thus for me. She would reproach herself. And so vividly did she bring home the lesson that it was always effective, enabling her to muster up reinforcements of courage and determination to go on, never declaring, I can do no more. So um, she just uh, persevered there with that determined determination. Yeah, all the saints uh, would share with us their own dependence on meditating and reflecting on the passion of Christ taking the time to, uh, if, if they had the ability, <clears throat> project images of Christ as was just described here, him falling with the weight of the cross on him, seeing him in the garden, seeing him uh, um, uh, on the cross itself. All of these were uh, the material of reflection for um, the saints, whenever, especially whenever they found themselves challenged in their own circumstances. Well, moving now to her preparation for making her own profession, uh, just before Teresa Margaret was actually to make her profession, she experienced again um, a medical condition, which was an abscess on her knee. It, it made it particularly difficult for her to kneel. It was actually possible that she would not be allowed to make her profession due to the fact that this condition would ultimately require surgery. It would take her out of uh, the normal routine for a while. Um, and if it didn't heal on its own, it was very likely this could happen to her. Uh, Teresa Margaret, while accepting this condition in complete humility, also became concerned that the condition was merely an indication that God had not been pleased with her preparations for uh, making her profession. And she intended <clears throat> uh, uh, to make her profession, wanted to make it, but she wanted to know whether God was, in fact, pleased with her. Teresa Margaret, then, immediately sought out the intercession of the Blessed Mother, and she asked her to give a clear sign as to whether or not God was in any way displeased with his young postulant. Um, by having the abscess heal without any need for surgery. Yeah, that would indicate that he was pleased. Exactly, right. And within a few days, all that, all the signs of this abscess disappeared, so she was professed. Yeah. There's another important lesson for all of us who are seeking um, to more completely align ourselves with the will of the Lord. I want, Francis, if you would bring us through that. Well, I, I just have to say that we need to prepare and... Um, I just recently put a podcast um, on CarmeliteConversations.com 
about how to better prepare for receiving Jesus in the Eucharist. And I just want to I want to put a shout out for Pope Francis for what he said about preparation for Eucharist. I just want to put a quick little note in here uh, and then invite you to go to the podcast because there's a lot of good teachings on there. Pope Francis says, whenever we approach the altar to receive Eucharist, we must truly renew our amen to the body of Christ. It's an amen from the heart. We should welcome Jesus with gratitude, not in a passive, habitual way. And he went on to say, we must not go to communion out of habit. When the priest says to us, the body of Christ, we say, amen. But let it be an amen that comes from the heart with conviction. It is Jesus. It is Jesus who saved me. It is Jesus who comes to give give me hope and strength to live. We must not get used to it. Every time we uh, go to communion, we must be like it was our first communion. I thought that was really uh, inspiring. Yeah, we have to be prepared. We don't. We should not take the sacraments, most especially the Eucharist, uh, lightly. And so, preparation, uh, participation, and reflection after we've received. Right? I mean, Absolutely. We, we are told in and I forms. love you is a great thing to say afterwards. Yeah, exactly. I love you, Jesus. <laughs> it's a good. It's a very good start. Um, as for Teresa Margaret's personal preparation, I don't want to necessarily go through the, the story that uh, a Mother Anna Maria r- relates to us, Francis, but I would like you, if you don't mind, to read those three paragraphs. I know they're a little lengthy. We've got about five minutes. What the promises uh, made for the, pre- the, the uh, profession uh, really uh, constituted for her um, in... Uh, um, exactly what it is that she was called upon uh, to, to offer here. Well, and this is the prioress teaching her. And she said, The vow of obedience, which excludes all question, choice, or individual action, governing the mind and submitting it to another and higher will than one's own, it, which must be cheerful and willing in imitation of the perfect submission of Jesus to his Father's will, renouncing her liberty, all right to dispose of anything, even herself, submerging her will into that of another, returning to the state of spiritual childhood and utter dependence on another, resigning the exercise of her own will and retaining only its sacrifice. Now that's the vow of obedience. Now she goes on to say, the vow of chastity makes of her body a living holocaust to God. By it, she renounces forever those legitimate pleasures of human love, motherhood, and family life, while not imprisoning the heart in a narrow or egotistic sterility based on self-esteem. This vow allows her to embrace freely and gladly that state of life which permits her to lavish her love on her neighbor, the church, and the whole world. Any soul consecrated to God by the vows of religion has responsibility of extending the saving mission of the divine redeemer who is her spouse and her strength. And finally, the vow of poverty requires a detachment ever more absolute than her renunciation. The abandonment not only of all worldly possessions but of the desire, hope, and power to possess anything even those necessary articles which she uses as her own, imitates her spouse who had not where to lay his head. This detachment makes her content with the needs and demands of daily life, helping her to give to others that which is not necessary or commanded by obedience, leading her to cast her cares on God's providence 
to provide for the unknown future in sickness or in health. For what doth it profit a man if he gain the whole world and suffer the loss of his own soul? Well, I wanted you to read that because it gives some indication of the, the depth of the commitment that was being made. And I just want to make this one last quote, um, which is actually from Mother Anna Maria uh, in the Carmel, where our future saint had just made her profession. She looks at what everybody knows was her, uh, her, her uh, favorite novice and says, That is the last ceremony until we bury you. In the meantime, all you have to do is continue dying to yourself until the day when the good Lord sees the work is finished and says, Arise, my love, and come. Right. So she's made her profession. We'll pick up with that uh, next week in our continuing conversation about St. Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. But Francis, can I ask you to close us in prayer? Yes, and then since we're approaching the Feast of the Sacred Heart, I picked this prayer of Teresa Margaret Reddy's as she was preparing for her spiritual exercises in 1768. So let us get recollected and think of who resides within us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My God, I only wish to become a perfect copy of Thee, nothing else, because Thy life was a hidden one of humility, love, and sacrifice. So must mine be, since Thou knowest that I desire nothing else but to become a victim of the Sacred Heart, entirely consumed in the fire of Thy divine love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, a reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian voice in your home. Until we're with you again next week, God bless.